On today's episode, we tell scary stories for Tavern Talk, we discuss Paul Simon's Graceland, an 80s classic, and then Barrio introduces the subject of our next episode, The Room. The video game, not the movie. Hello, and welcome to The Culture Quest. We are but humble adventurers, and today, there are lasers in the jungle. With me, as always, are Peter. Hello. And Barrio. Hello, hello, hello. And I am Inan. Thank you, the listeners at home, for taking part in our noble quest. On today's episode, we're discussing Paul Simon's Graceland, a 1986 album that uh, we first brought up in our 50th episode when we took a good look at the Rolling Stone magazine top 500 album list. Today, we'll dive deeper into this album, but before that, Tavern Talk. <laughs> So, on today's segment, we're discussing the question, what is something scary or paranormal that you've experienced? Um, basically, do you have any really scary stories or uh, has something weird and unexplainable ever happened to you? Now, I, I know it's a podcast and the listeners can't really uh, see us, so I'm going to suggest or, or even recommend that you use your imagination and imagine that we've dimmed the lights, we're sitting in a dark kind of chilly room and we're holding flashlights pointed at our chins there's someone right now listening to this on like the ab cruncher at the gym just going okay <laughs> <laughs> well now that i've tried to set the mood who wants to go first well i have a weird story so i went to the south of israel to a city called elat in order to do a diving course so there's a sunken ship at the bay of, of elat and you know, it's been there for ages, and it's really beautiful. There are a lot, a lot of corals and a lot of fish. So we dive down, and there are a lot of divers there. But our school of divers are going in a very specific route where we kind of like go around the ship. Then we're starting to make our way up, kind of like in parallel to the ship. Then not really getting inside of it, but on an inner deck or something like that. And... At one point, I, I look up and I see something that, well, for me, it was paranormal because <laughs> it, it looked like a typhoon of thousands of fish all swimming in circles and giving like this swirly motion of everyone going up, just thousands of fish. Not big ones, really relatively small, but not tiny, like regular sized fish swimming in spiral. Yeah, spiraling up. Uh, but I didn't know what they were going, but it was so mind-blowing that I, I just got hypnotized. So I, I left all the other drivers and I started swimming towards it. I, I, I was kind of like, a, I'm a drawn to it like moth to a flame. You heard the call of the fish. Yeah. And I remember ex- <laughs> thinking, this cannot be real. This is, this is like CGI stuff. There's no way this is real. I, I have to find out. 
So I'm swimming towards it, getting closer and closer and starting to see the fish a bit more in details. And I kind of expected to understand that I'm seeing something something wrong. And I got there and there were just thousands of fish swimming. And I said, well, this is still unbelievable. I need, I need to make sure that, that this is real. So like I took my hand and I, I wanted to uh, swing it towards them, like push uh, some water in order to see if, if the fish react to it. <laughs> so I did that. And to my surprise, the fish actually got startled. They, they moved to all directions. That spiraling column still stood there. But at the point where I, I sent the fish away, I was surprised to find that there's a, a writing with my name on it, my, with my first name. My first name is Or, like O-R, but in, in Hebrew, it spells like with three letters. And I, I, I didn't know what to understand. Like this whole situation was so un, unreal. And I actually swam in order to understand if it's real. And then suddenly it was talking back to me. It was calling my name. It was just, I, I remember I just <laughs> froze there looking at my own name and not understanding what the hell is happening. And I started to look around and I didn't know what to think of it. I said, okay, I, I, I'm, this, is, this is driving me mad. I need, I need to understand. So I <laughs> started to wave my hand and just drive all the fish away. And I understood that in a crazy coincidence, the column that all the fish were spiraling uh, around was... Um, the mast. Yeah, prob- maybe the mast. It didn't have sails, so it's not really holding the sail. I don't know, it's, it was a pole of some sort. And all the fish were spiraling around that. And I happened to get to the place where it held the sign <laughs> with the name of the ship. The specific place that I scared the fish away was a part of the name of the ship that, <laughs> that also held my name inside of it. Wow. And, yeah, <laughs> and, and that was just a crazy coincidence. I remember I was, let's say that until we got out of the, of the water, I was sure that we're within a simulation and everything is just, uh, isn't, nothing is real. Man, that's actually crazy. Yeah. yeah. In those situations, I'm like, okay, oh, wow. I'm just going to like emotionally process this yeah. when I'm like on dry land. Yeah. But for now, you're just like freaked out. Yeah. You know, you can't come to terms with it while you're underwater. It's just, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Your name is, it's not like a rare word in Israel. It's not like finding Peter as the name of the boat. Uh, your name in Israel, in Hebrew means light. So <laughs> it's kind of a useful word. <laughs> <laughs> well, Peter is a useful word as well. <laughs> when you want to call Peter. Well, mine's a bit disappointing, actually, because I don't know, I haven't really had anything paranormal happen. I just remember, like, back when I was young, so like, say, maybe about 14, maybe, maybe, no, 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 a bit younger, actually, probably more like um, 12. Like, I I used to watch, like, the AFL, so the Australian Football League, it's like our own sport, um, on the TV. And um, basically, my system was get a bit of food, go to the back room, which has, like, you know, brick walls and a lot of space get my small pump-up footy and just kick it around the room whilst I watch because, like, I didn't have the attention span to sort of watch the game. (laughs) So I'd have the game on and every time there was an ad or any sort of non-interesting bit, I'd run around, kick kick the ball against the wall. And I loved to do this thing where I'd kick the ball up against the wall and then I'd run and jump 
catch the ball and land on the couch. Like I felt like at that age, like 12 is not, you're not delusional. You know, you're not like imagining things. You're pretty in touch with reality, right? Like I, I would put pies in the oven or in the microwave and make them and stuff like that. So I'm clearly a functioning human at this point. But I remember I would, ki- as soon as I kicked the ball up and dived in the air, because I would try to like make it like a three meter dive, right? Even that's probably an exaggeration, but I felt like if the, if I mistimed the ball and like the ball was like not coming for a few seconds, I would somehow like float to the couch. <laughs> so like, I, like basically if the ball was coming at the right speed, I would just jump and get it. But otherwise I would have this ability to kind of like float and fly. And it was so, so realistic to me. Because I was, I, I couldn't just go like, okay, let's go to Japan now and like no. just open up the door and fly. There needed to be like, I needed to like do a jump and then I'd just get a little bit more air and then like, you know, I'd work on that a little bit thinking like I'm up in the air for like three and a half, four seconds, you know. And honestly, I reckon for about five years, I really thought I could fly. Yeah. But <laughs> I, I think it was something where like I didn't really want to test it too much because I think deep down maybe I knew I couldn't fly, but I was like, I can do it. Like, <laughs> I, I fully thought I could fly. <laughs> like not like a jet or anything like that, like Superman, but I thought like a, aerop- like a paper airplane, like I could, if I really wanted to, like I could probably float 100 meters. Yeah, just stay up in <laughs> which the Which is like 300 while. <laughs> um, foot. If you're in in America, I was like, yeah, I could probably do it. And like, I never said it. And, but I, I just, I just went around thinking like, you know, when I'm doing school stuff, I'm like, yeah, I could fly. Like, I actually thought that. So it's not paranormal, but it's definitely sort of like supernatural, I guess you could say. Yeah. I thought I, I used to think that I could run, just sprint, just run as fast as I can and change direction with ease. Just mm. uh, do 180. And keep running yeah. without losing any momentum. Yeah, even with running, that like I, I used to be pretty good at running. And then, I don't know, something something came up like after sort of primary school. Every time I'd think about trying to run and in a race, I'd always think, yeah, but the wind resistance, like I, I would be so obsessed. Like how do you even, if you're going to run forward so fast, doesn't the wind just push you back and knock you over? It never happens, obviously. But <laughs> I don't know why, but my brain's just got this thing where... It's kind of like just doubts, I guess, but more visual. And it's like, nah, you can't run like all that wind resistance, like as if no one else is putting up with that wind resistance <laughs> or something. And before that, like I didn't have it, you know, like when I was young, like, I don't know, there, there's something about it. But every time I run, I'm like, man, I could go so much faster if it wasn't for this bloody wind. Since you know? the day you started carrying a sail wherever you went, something something's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one of those backpacks that like turns into a parachute. Yeah, <laughs> that's a dream. That's honestly how I feel sometimes when I run. I feel like I've got that big parachute, but really, I'm just a slow runner. You know? <laughs> I think we can uh, crown Barrio's story. Is the most paranormal one <laughs> because oh yeah, mine. Definitely. I couldn't think of anything paranormal, but I got kind of a, a scary story, and that was uh, part of the question, so I went with that. So, um, wh- when I was young, twenty twenty one, one of my first jobs uh, was doing this security thing. I'd sit in a car, and whenever an alarm system would go off in one of our clients' home or business, I'd go and check it out and make sure that everything you know seems fine and that it was just a false alarm. 
And I never saw anything really interesting throughout my time there. And I, I got to listen to a lot of, of music, a lot of podcasts. But this one time, I was doing a night shift, and I was working in a uh, in a different area than I was used to. Uh, it was uh, this next town over. But anyway, I got a call. at a, I, don't know, I think it was 2 or 3 a.m. I got a call about an alarm in this kindergarten, and I went to check it out. And on the way there, the, the guy from our call center told me that it's kind of a kindergarten building. It's, it's four floors of classrooms and, and stuff for kids. And that there are two entry points to the building uh, that I need to check out. He told me that you can get into the building on the first floor from, from one street and on the fourth floor from a different street. Wow, that's a four-level difference. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It must be on like a really steep hill or something. But yeah, yeah. Uh, it's on the side of a mountain. Yeah. Anyway, I got to the first floor entry and I walked around the building as best I could and everything. And everything seemed fine. And then I drove around to the next street and checked out the, the entry point on the fourth floor. And again, everything seemed fine. And the the person from the call center thingy told me that they got a call from the police asking me to get inside the building and go floor to floor and make sure that everything's fine. Uh, It was, like I said, around 3 a.m. And everything outside was kind of quiet and everyone was asleep. And the the guy from the call center, he gave me the the entry code to the building. So I I walked inside, obviously dead quiet, uh, totally dark. And I had a flashlight. I actually also had a gun, but no ammo, just a gun for show. <laughs> but but I turned on the flashlight and I started scanning like the fourth floor. I started from uh, the top floor, so I started scanning and uh, looking for any signs of breaking. And I like I don't know what I was supposed to do if I did like run into someone, but I I, I didn't really think about it. So I just you know was scanning the fourth floor. I was opening doors uh, to look inside every room to make sure everything seemed okay. And, you know, I, I kind of, I, I tried to do it as slowly and quietly as I could. Like, I, I wasn't afraid of meeting anyone or running into anyone, but, you know, you're in a in a dark building in the middle of the night, you've never been there before. It's, it's, it, it makes you want to do things quietly. And I was nearly done with the fourth floor when I heard, like, a noise, like something moved. And I wasn't sure if it was, like, uh, something close or if it was maybe far away. And, you know, I, I remember not moving for a few seconds to see if I can hear anything. But I didn't, so I kept going. And I, I took the stairs down to the, the third floor. And because I thought I maybe heard something, I was a bit, I was getting a bit tense. So I scanned this, the, the third floor and everything seemed okay. But, you know, as I was scanning it, I, I started imagining what would happen if I did run into someone. And I started making myself more and more nervous. I remember opening doors to rooms and, and imagining people standing in the rooms like waiting for me or something. And Anyway, I, I, I finished scanning the third floor and I started moving towards the, the stairs to get down to the second floor. And then, then I stopped because I definitely heard something this time. Like I heard from the stairs coming from the second floor, I heard uh, footsteps and whispers. And definitely at least two people were there and they sounded fairly close. So... I assumed they were somewhere near the stairs. So I stopped to think, and and, and I, I wasn't thinking perfectly rationally because I didn't get quite scared, and I thought I could either start moving back towards the exit on the fourth floor and maybe accidentally make some noise on my way out because, like, my walkie-talkie wasn't silenced or, or anything, and maybe then I'd alert the people on the second floor maybe scare them, maybe they'll start chasing me, I don't know. Or I could go down there and see what was going on. 
you know, I, I was thinking and I heard them whispering and they were closer than I thought. And from that moment, I wasn't really thinking anymore. And like, for some reason on autopilot, I yelled out, is there anybody down there? And there was no answer. And I started walking down the stairs. And as I got to the second floor and crossed like the corner from the bottom of the stairs, I raised my flashlight and I looked for who was down there. And suddenly in front of me, I saw four policemen, two girls, two guys. Each one had a flashlight and a pistol aimed at me. Ooh, <laughs> and, and you're the one holding uh, a gun going, what's up, motherfuckers? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> chick, chick. Yeah. <laughs> I immediately put my hands up and like we were staring at each other. And I felt like that like was the end for me. I was sure someone was going to shit at me or something. And, you know, then they saw I was wearing the uniform of the security company, which was just a white shirt with the company's logo, but they figured out who I was and what I was doing there, and they put down their weapons. And I'm not kidding. I literally, I collapsed on the stairs and I couldn't breathe for a, for a minute or so. <laughs> I was so scared. You would have been great if they were real criminals. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it turns out they came in from the first floor and they were scanning the lower floors. And after after we kind of settled things, they, they took some information from me and stuff which I don't really know why they needed any information from me, but they all sounded really scared and panicked like to be in that building mm -hmm. themselves. After a few minutes, I left. I drove as far from there as I could. I sent the car and I remember feeling alert and, and, and feeling thankful to be alive. I kind of imagine like that is how Raymond K. Hessel felt after that scene in Fight Club where he thought he was going to die. Oh, yeah. uh, honestly, like there was so nothing really to be scared about in that building, but I was dead scared. And the, the, the policemen were also, they seemed to be panicked about it. I I'll never forget how it felt to have four guns aimed at you. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> Nothing paranormal, obviously. They probably scare me too, uh, actually. Like in Australia, like you don't even see guns really. So I've like literally like probably not even seen a gun like actually pointed. So um, Paul Simon, as most people know, but perhaps not, is um, he is one half of um, Simon and Garfunkel, sort of a a folk rock duo that pretty much dominated the late 60s. One of their biggest albums was Bridge Over Troubled Water, um, which is, again, one of one of those just best albums of all time in a lot of people's um, eyes. And that was released in 1970, just before they um, broke up. Why did they break up? Uh, I'm not too sure, actually. Yeah, I don't know. Um, hmm. Um, Simon released a solo single, True or False, under the moniker True Taylor. Garfunkel, who believed it to be a betrayal. Yeah, I think it, there were, had a bit of a rivalry between them, which is actually a lot of the reason why a lot of bands break up. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, Simon Garfunkel, who we're focusing on today, he's American, born in um, Newark, New Jersey, and mother and father were both teachers, but his dad was a bass player, uh, which is probably where he got you know some of the inspiration from his music. Um, he was married to Carrie Fisher at one point. Really? Carrie Fisher plays... Um, Princess Leia. Yeah, in, in Star Wars. So. No way. Yeah, they, were, they were married <laughs> from August 1983 to July 1984, so not, not a long time. Yeah. But um, um, he has quite a few children, and he's he's got a <laughs> chunk of awards. He's got 35 um, nominations and 16 awards at the Grammys. And this is, you guys are going to absolutely love this. The, he won a 1987 Grammy for um, Album of the Year for Graceland, and it is 
added to the United States's um, <laughs> Library of a... Recording Registry as culturally, historically, <laughs> and aesthetically important. Well, like I said, so, they're too easy to um, get into. They, they admit anyone who, who applies. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think it's like if aliens ever invade, this is like what we bury, you know, <laughs> like at the bottom. Just if we ever make it back, we want this stuff. So, <laughs> so yeah, essentially, um, this album, um, Graceland, was r- recorded in... 1985, released in 1986. Um, there's a lot of controversy actually about um, the recording of it because in 1985, South Africa still had separation of black people and white people called apartheid at the time. And basically, in very simple terms, um, other countries, non-South American, uh, South Africa countries just said that we're not going to um, essentially do any deals or um, essentially take part uh, with anything they're going to do because we just don't want, like, basically whatever whatever they touch, we just don't want to be a part yeah. of. So that means that recording artists don't perform there and, you know what I mean, you don't film a TV show in, in South Africa. Yeah. You don't do these kind of, th- of things. But obviously Paul Simon, uh, Paul Simon definitely knew about this. I th- It's a little bit complicated, but I think he, I think he falls on the side of, he, he's sort of bringing some of the unappreciated music from South Africa and bringing it out to the world. He's not dealing in a political sense yeah. with any of their um, recording industry or anything like that. I think in his opinion, he's um, he's just bringing out what isn't being heard from South Africa. But others, others do uh, are critical and they say, one, he's taking advantage of the South Africans because he's using their music. Obviously, some people just straight up don't like it because he's not abiding by the boycott yeah. of South Africa. So there's there's mixed opinions that we'll go into later. I, I don't have too much to say on it, but um, it's definitely something that, you know, comes through in the album because it is a very, I guess you could say like an African-centric album. There's mm-hmm. a lot of African rhythms in there, a lot yeah. of African beats. There's a lot of people on there that from South Africa who are seeing obviously different kind of um, sounds than you would usually hear on a Paul Simon album. But yeah, so it was it was released sort of in this uh, murky atmosphere of he's definitely I don't think he's done anything absolutely wrong. It's just whether he's committed any sort of faux pas or not mm. um, by doing it. But it did come out with a good reception. It was very popular. It was it was a commercial success, and it was um, obviously winning the Grammy in 1987. Yeah, so. that, that helps. Yeah, so. It, it, it's sold up to about 16 million copies worldwide, which is pretty big. And it's his highest charting album um, since his days with uh, Simon Garfunkel. So it's a, it's a bit of a comeback album. The singles from it was, of course, one of the most famous songs, um, You Can Call Me Out. But he also released the title track, um, Graceland, in November, Boy in the Bubble, um, the year after was also released as a single and Diamonds on the Soles of Issues and Under African Skies. So they, they were all released as singles. So yeah, there's a, there's, there's a lot of sort of um, backup singers. There's a few sort of collaborations in this, but they're all sort of featuring South African um, musicians um, because that was really the inspiration of the album. When he um, went to record this, he didn't have any songs written when he went to record them when he went to record the album, he just went through just recordings of conversations he's had in Africa, among other things, and he's put them into lyrics. So it was a bit of a spare of the moment. So um, let's go through um, general 
thoughts first. Um, this is, I believe, our first 80s album. Yeah, I think um, so. So 60s and 70s, I I figure, is a very solid, like, that they knew, everyone knew what music was. It was always evolving, but everyone sort of had a finger of on the pulse. But 80, I find, is where it starts to go in a lot of different directions is the formation of, of a lot of subgenres. I find that a lot of people criticize the eighties for the sound, like the production, because obviously synthesizers were big in the eighties, sort of more of these electronic sounds where they hadn't mastered it completely, but were definitely trying to put them to use um, when potentially they didn't fit. But yeah, it, it's definitely a sort of an odd decade for music. So um, <laughs> yeah, I, I just, I want to see how, uh, what you guys think about it and, and how you think it ages as well. Well, I'll just start by saying that, I don't know, maybe it was clear, <laughs> maybe I'm the only one who got surprised by it, but from the first note of uh, Boy in a Bubble, I was like, ah, that's the guy who sings uh, You Can Call Me Al. That's that's fun. I wonder if it will be in the album. Really? I didn't think <laughs> about it until that song kicked in. Like, uh, I didn't even make the connection. I, I never made the connection that the guy who's singing You Can Call Me Al is actually Simon from Simon and Garfunkel. It's, <laughs> it's I, I don't know, It may, maybe it's, it sounds stupid now, but it, it took me by surprise and, and it was actually very, very pleasant to find out. Uh, I, I, I enjoyed it. I got to say from, from the first track and all, all the way through the end, even, did you guys listen to the, uh, to the premium album with the additional tracks, uh, a couple of demo tracks and early versions of some of them? Yeah. On, on Apple music, you don't get the choice. Yeah, you exactly. always listen to the, to the, um, deluxe yeah, edition. Bugged me because I was, I was never sure if I was listening to the, the bonus tracks or to the regular album. Mm, and yeah, I, it kept yeah. confusing me. But, but I got to say that, like, I would say if you're listening to the album, you should probably give a, give a shot to, to those early versions because they were good. So from the first tracks and the official ones to, to the demo versions and, you know, the last track where he tells kind of like the story of, of, of making it. Yeah, there's kind of an interview with him about the... The story of Graceland, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I enjoyed myself. It's, uh, it's a good album. And I think that the way he kind of like introduced uh, South African mu- music with his own style was really, really compelling. Regarding, uh, I think that he did age well, relatively, like... It's definitely not something that if you would put on the radio right now, it's different from what we now have as mainstream, especially uh, synthesizers and uh, some more of electronic effects that we don't really use anymore. Even electronic drums and everything, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I'd say the production is is top-notch. Everything sounds so clean and nice. I don't love the sounds too much, the, the, the sounds he chose to use, but... The, the production is amazing, I think. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I, yeah, I tried to give this album what I lovingly call the Culture Quest treatment, which, you know, I, I try to keep an open mind and try to get to know this album to a certain level. And, like, once you get to know the album well enough, you kind of feel that you've, like, turned a corner and you know it in a more personal way. Now, in my experience, you know, gained along this quest of ours and just through listening to a fair amount of music, it sometimes takes a couple of listens and it sometimes takes quite a few listens. Uh, mm, I agree. And once you turn that corner, once you cross that kind of line, you start to really get what you think of the album. You really get to know it. And I, I try not to really get set in, a, in an opinion before I feel like I get this album. And regarding Graceland, I listen to this album almost every day throughout the past couple of weeks. It 
was really not what I expected it to be. I thought it was going to be a bunch of quiet, acoustic, deep songs with some sweet singing. And it's yeah. much different than that. It's much more upbeat than yeah. that. <laughs> maybe, maybe poppy, a, a bit more poppy is the right way to put it. But I, I got over the surprise. I kept listening to, to the album. And I was a bit confused by the music because I didn't get it at all. Like something about the very gentle singing, the upbeat drums, the overall feel of the album, which uh, I have to say, I don't know if you'll agree with me, but reminded me a lot of U2's uh, War, the album we've listened to like uh, 30 episodes ago. Something just didn't click for me with this album. And a week after my first listen, I was listening to this album while I was cleaning my house and uh, my, my apartment. And suddenly I felt like I may be starting to get this album, but it never got much beyond starting to get it. Uh, after that listen, I, I could kind of enjoy the album. I, I like listening to it. You know, I started liking it and there was just no point at which I felt like I fully got this album. I never really fell in love with it. I never really hated it i never i don't know i just nothing really clicked at all and usually with other albums we've done uh even if i didn't adore them or even like them i felt like i got to know them in a way that i wanted to explore them more i usually wanted more time to listen to the the albums we've listened before we record and you know more than the two weeks we usually have between episodes but with this one i kind of forgot that we're listening to it i i did remember to listen to it but i was always a bit surprised that we're doing this. And I definitely wasn't dreading putting on this album. I, I'll definitely say I did enjoy this album. I think there's like there, there's fun to be had with this album. It's definitely not a bad album, not, not at all. But again, it just didn't really click for me. Okay, so uh, apologies if any rain comes through or about to have a big storm. So th- this album, I, re- I remember distinctly um, listening to it the first time. And... I listened to Boy in the Bubble. I thought, okay, yep, Graceland, title track, you know, because sometimes I'm, I'm a bit fearful of the title track that they're never a good song, but this one was okay, sort of middle of the road. And I got to the end of the movie, um, sorry, <laughs> to the end of the album, um, <laughs> and I just thought I was a bit underwhelmed. I thought it all sounded similar, but then it all sounded different. Like, like there was nothing that jumped out at me yet there was no real rhyme or reason to the album because um, obviously there's a there's there's different sides of this album there's the more what you would call a culturally south african yeah. s- side you know with things like under african skies homeless yeah. um potentially gumboots as well and then there was like this really sort of poppy you know chart music which is like boy in the bubble or you can call me out and then there's kind of this stuff in the middle, which is like Graceland or, you know, maybe even Crazy Love or something like that. And I didn't really know if I could enjoy it ever. Like I just thought maybe I'm just never going to like it. But I knew I had to listen to it to under- to be able to differentiate it just for the podcast. So I, I listened to it that time and then I listened to it one more time. I think I listened to the second half and then the first half just to see if anything happened. And I didn't like it that much. So I, I put it away for, I think, maybe three days. And then at home, I, I was like, oh, let's put on some background music because I'll, I'll, I'm going to listen to it anyway. So let's just put it on in the background just to get more familiar with it. Even if I'm not listening to it, 
you know, your body kind of gets in the rhythm. I'm one of those people that really believe that you don't have to actually focus on something with your consciousness, but your body will still get the, you know, will still understand it. Yeah, right? it'll still sink in. Yeah, it will. It Slowly, will. That's what yeah. I think. So I put on Boy in the Bubble and I don't know, something changed and I was just humming along and I just enjoyed that really almost like like one of those big harmonica delays almost, whatever you call it, uh, accordion. It was kind of on a delay, which like made it slightly bit late compared to the beat. And I don't know, it just gave it some real movement. And then the, the lyrics were interesting as well. Like it was, they were kind of, what I would describe like for a lot of the album was kind of this pondering lyrics. Like it was observational kind of lyrics, you know, like mm, yeah. very much not grounding it too much in reality so as to um, try to make it very coherent, but still like almost like a person like making like a dish, just throwing on ingredients one by one, like, and they're not quite stirred in, you know what I mean? They're, they're, they're sort of, they're, they're a little bit in clumps, but you know, it sort of still works a little bit. So like you have a lot of in this, in the, in the, in the big track, you can call me Al, he has a lot of these darker kind of, um, themes about it, like the, the bomb in the baby carriage, but then he has like, he's, he's in a party situation almost like trying to pick up this girl. And, you know, it's, it's a very sort of weird, weird sort of disjunction in the lyrics. Like some of them are positive, some of them are negative, but he's just bang them right next to each other. You know what I mean? Which makes sense. Cause I, I did say that he was kind of recording conversations and trying to put him into lyrics. So Potentially, that's why they're a little bit mixed up, but something happened and I started to really enjoy it. So Boy in the Bubble was the first one, which I really quite liked. I, I just really got into that. So I, I, I felt like I was just playing it and then I'd just repeat it again. And then Graceland I got into. Graceland started to become like one of my favorites. And then all of a sudden, I know what I know. That became one of my favorites, especially with the background singers. The background singers really make that that song. And then all of the songs started to like really give me a good impression. There were some that didn't stand out to me, like um, like uh, particularly the ones towards the end of the album, like Homeless and Crazy Love. But I don't know, like the, the album grew on me so quickly. And then I, I'd say probably for the last four days, I've just been playing it nonstop, like just absolutely. Like I'd put the whole album on, I'd get to the end and I'd just start it again, just at work in the car. So... I just couldn't believe the difference between the first listen, which I just had absolutely no love for. And then, and now it's so, it's such a nice collection of songs, but I still sort of stand to my original uh, opinion in terms of that. I don't think the album flows that well. And there are a, a few wasted tracks, but I, if I can just pick out four songs, I just, they're just amazing songs mm. to me. Like they are really I don't know if you call them genius, but they just work, you know? So, um, yeah, I've never had such a big disjunction between my initial impression and my final thoughts on it. Yeah. It's a, you, kind it of sounds like you had this whole journey with it. With it. Mm. Yeah. I thought this was like, I was a bit disappointed because I thought, well, wouldn't it be typical to, to always talk about the 80s as if like they're just a terrible decade and no good albums released? And then do an album and then trash the album. Like I was a bit disappointed, but, <laughs> um, but then I started to like it. And like, 
there's so many characteristic things here of the 80s, you know, like the electric or the, the electric drum sound in I Know What I Know or like the more sort of what we'll call the farty bass sound yeah. in in the boy in the bubble. I think it's sort, you know, of, like, sort of a tuba or something. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's, <laughs> there's a lot of sort of um, 80s cliches you could almost call them because this was released later, you know, 1986, so that, you know, it wasn't exactly early eighties. Um, so that, but there's still a lot of cliches of things that were used, um, around then and, and after, but I don't know. I just, the, the more quirky it got, the more I liked it. Uh, what, what were your, um, favorite tracks on the app? What was your favorites and least favorite? Which should I start from my favorite or least favorite? Go least favorite. Well, I gotta say that like, it's not that I dislike them, but Something with homeless, like homeless is is beautiful. Homeless. Yeah, but homeless. Homeless. Yeah, it's <laughs> that's that's spot on. We should start yeah, a band. Just start a cover band, <laughs> just for this song, please. It's so accurate. How oh, haven't we started a band yet? And we can call it homeless, and we will be homeless because no one will take us. <laughs> So homeless, I don't know. It didn't, it didn't <laughs> exactly uh, click for me, but uh, but it is like I, I can appreciate things there. The harmony, the, the yeah, the harmony is beautiful. Yeah, I had a um, like Graceland. It it took a while, but I, I think also something with uh, him in the last track of the bonus album where, where he describes, you know, the story behind Graceland and and how it started with. Uh, with the rhythm and then got kind of like lead lead melody and then when he actually said I want to go to Graceland and and the lyrics are are actually him just driving to Graceland. So after I heard that every time that I listened to Graceland I just appreciated it. And there's a really great description where he called that it has a subtle emptiness for that track. And that's mm. I, I completely agree. It's it's a it's a perfect driving music. Like I, I really just want to go to Graceland so I can mm. put put that track on, and and enjoy the ride. Yeah. So that's that's definitely uh, I think my my favorite one. Uh, I gotta give like an honorable mention to you can call me out. Well, for me it it kind of sounds a bit corny to talk about it because for me you can call me out is is a song that I've been hearing through my childhood and it's awesome like it's uh it's it's a standard it's funny it's deep it's you know i think that if i didn't grow up on on listening to it you can call me al would have been my favorite hmm mm. yeah did anyone else think it was called um you can call me out yeah that's, what that's I quite a common yeah i always thought it was well not always thought but when when i first heard it because i'm familiar with it but not that familiar with it i could recognize it but I wasn't really sure if, if I'd heard it, um, but I was like, oh, you can call me out. Yeah. And then like, and then it was like, ow. I'm like, who the hell is ow? This guy's Paul. Like, pal? Like, you know, like, is ow just really short for Paul? Like, I can call you, know, you but, but you can call me out. <laughs> so good. But um, it, it came about, he was at a party and... Um, some random person just like mistook him for someone else, which is funny. <laughs> Paul Simon, but uh, he's like, 
um, hey, Al, can you tell Betty that I've left or something like that? And that's how he <laughs> came up with the name. So. <laughs> that guy is really good in just taking literal things that happened to him and put him in, putting it in a song. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. Yeah. Um, by the way, another fun fact. When I told my father that uh, we're listening to this, he told me that there was a very famous clip of Paul Simon and uh, Chevy Chase doing You Can Call Me Al. Oh, Have really? you watched that? No. Well, yeah, I, I no, think it's I haven't. The, so I, I watched it. It's the official clip. And Chevy Chase, well, I guess for our generation, is more well-known from uh, Community. He's playing, uh, uh, what's his character name is? Pierce. Pierce. Pierce yeah, Hawthorne. Pierce oh, yeah. Hawthorne. I understood it was unbearable. And he had a falling out with uh, Dan Herman, the creator of the show. Like, I, I watched the video clip. And it's really mild. But supposedly it was hilarious at the time. <laughs> because the thing is that Chevy Chase kind of like lip singing the the whole thing, and Paul Simon sits next to him and and do the background voices, kind of goes in and out of the room every time, bringing another instrument in order to play, mm-hmm. and and everything is kind of like fake. I don't know. It's <laughs> it's really not that amusing, but uh, I I sent it today again to my to my dad, and he just laughed out loud. That's a different generation. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely, whole different set of humor. So my least favorite, I'll I'll go with Barry here and say homeless. It just it was just too slow for a um for this album, you know, like it, it, coming straight off. Um, I believe it was the song after. No, no, sorry, it wasn't the song after. You can call me out. It was the one after under African skies, which I do quite like. But I don't know, homeless just drags a little bit. Like it just it never never clicked really. It was too slow to really tap your foot to. Yeah, it's not much else to say about it, but. Yeah, and it wasn't a particularly bad song. It's just, I just never really um, liked it. My favorite is a tough one. <sighs> you know what? I, I'm going to go with You Can Call Me Out. It, it's a pretty basic answer, but there's something about the lyrics which I really like. He does this in, in The Boy in the Bubble a lot as well, but I, I love the imperfections, or not even imperfections, but just the way he he sort of goes up and down a little bit. And just when you think he's going to finish on an up, he finishes on like a, just sort of like a down or just doesn't really go up or anything, or even leaves a bit of space at the end of a, um, of a paragraph before like a bass, um, or the, the drums or the bass kick in. And it, I don't know, it just gives it this real, um, authentic kind of feel to it. Like in most pop songs, you know, you, you don't miss an opportunity to really like hit the beat or something like that. But this one, he's willing to sort of sync up with the music and he does this when he does this sort of um uh i I don't know what it's called but he's he sort of syncs up for two things in a row so um i should get the lyrics up here i was gonna wing it but i figured (laughs) so he goes i need a photo opportunity i want a shot at redemption and those two lines are really kind of he says them but there's no he's not following any beat and in that point he's like i need a photo opportunity i need a shot at redemption and then he goes don't want to end up a cartoon in a cartoon graveyard and then bone digger bone digger he goes back on the beat so he's like bone digger bone digger and it's very much on the beat he does this thing where he dances around the beat and then he lands on it and then he starts dancing around again and it's just i don't know i, I really like that i i don't know how much is deliberate and how much is his natural uh, ability to craft a song but because um, I, I haven't listened to enough of his solo stuff or even much of Simon and Garfunkel, 
But I just really like the fact that not everything's on the beat. Some of it's it's almost like a rap in some sense, you know. And to add to that, just the um the the production on it is is top notch. It's it's really it's really quite good. It, it it ages itself a little bit with the sort of when you have like the opening sort of chords to the album. Yeah. Like it, it that's the most eighties thing about it. But everything else is is you know, has aged just perfectly. Yeah, it's that's really good. true. And, it, and one of the best choruses you'll ever hear. Yeah. I, I really like what you said about uh, dancing around the beat there. Mm. Good phrasing, yeah. I heard I heard uh, You Can Call Me Al again this morning. And um, I, I, I think what's amazing, it's, it's, it's a really kind of like an existential crisis song, mm. yeah. right? Like uh, he's kind of like trying to find his, his way and... Like the the first time that he in, in that course where he says I don't want a type of carton in a carton graveyard is mostly what I focused on as well. But in the next one, he's talking about what I'm going to do when now that my role my role model is gone. Oh, yeah. And it gives it like a kind of like a melancholic uh, feel to it. And I don't know. I just wanted to mention that up. I, I, it. Uh, kind of touched me to this morning yeah, yeah the way he says um where's my wife and family it's so <laughs> sad like he 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 kind of changes it and almost goes out of key he's like um why am i short of attention got a short little span of attention and whoa my nights are so long where's my wife and family it's <laughs> <was> like what <laughs> like it's like it's like almost like he was recording the song and he's like shit <laughs> where's my wife and family <laughs> like and then he goes straight into, what if I die here? Which is perfect because it's like, where's my wife and family? Huh, what if I die here? Like, <laughs> it's just totally observational, like exactly what someone would think, yeah, you know? Train of thought that's going off rails. <laughs> yeah. My least favorite song is, I, uh, I think it was, I Know What I Know, which I no think... No way! Oh. What? Very much so. I, I have nothing nice to say about that song. Oh. <laughs> uh. <laughs> and uh, listen, like, this album didn't click for me, but I didn't hate any of the songs either. The the songs uh, that, that you guys both have chosen as your least favorite one, Homeless, I thought it was kind of cool. I I grooved with it, you know? After a few listens, it really... Uh, I, I could really find something fun about it. But with this one, I'll just say I didn't like the the sound of this album. And I like I don't like how the, the, the album kicks off with, like, an accordion and a tuba. I think Graceland actually sounds pretty good. I think it's the least 80s out of the whole thing. But with I Know What I Know, it starts with a really cool sounding guitar lick. It sounds like this 50s Americana guitar riff kind of thing. And every time it starts, I perked up and I thought, okay, this sounds cool. This must be a cool song. But four mm. seconds in, the, 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 the whole thing kind of goes to shit, I think. The, the, the awful snare drum kicks in and the rest of the song... I don't like it. I don't know. It really, something about the lyrics, I, I, I mentioned it earlier, a few of the songs in this one specifically really reminded me of U2's War. Obviously, not in terms of the, of the sound or the style, but something about the feel, the preachiness of U2, how Bono was annoying. I, I feel the same about this one for some reason. It really reminds me of each other. Um, so yeah, this is my least favorite song. <laughs> Man, and- I just cannot agree. Like it was almost my favorite. Like there's something about him 
saying the lines like, I know what I know, and having that bit in the background, like, I don't even know what they're saying. Yeah. But it's, it's just like, it, it just carries the beat on, you know, I've said what I've said, we come and we go. Like, I don't know. It's just, it's just very, like, I couldn't help but like, just move my head. Like, it just is great. Uh, I did like dance along with it. When I listened to it in the in the car, I did sing along. I did maybe not appreciate. Maybe appreciate isn't the right word, but I did have fun with this. But it's just not for me. And my yeah. favorite song is is Graceland, the title track. I I think it's a great song. The maybe the only one on this album that from the beginning to its end I really liked. Like there's nothing I don't like about this song. I love the chorus. I think it's very catchy. The whole song is very fun to, to sing along with. The, the, the song, like I said, the Graceland is the one that sounds the least like the 80s, which to me is a good thing. I don't know. I, always, I also like the drum line. Like I always like songs that go chuka chaka chuka chaka chuka chaka chuka chuka. I really, really like that song. It feels wandering. It feels like in search of something. It feels deeper. I, I agree with Barrio. I'd love to go to Graceland and play that song. And then a bunch of like Elvis songs because Graceland, but never mind. <laughs> mm. I don't know. There's something about him that felt like, obviously this is going to be not relevant for 99.9% <laughs> of viewers, but this sounds like Joshua Radden got invited on Bob Dylan's um, oh Mercy studio sessions and played this song because it has a, like a little bit of like a mystique sound to it. Not too much. It's still pretty light, like a Josh Radden song, but it d- still had like the production of Oh Mercy and it's a, it's a song that he would write as well, like a very much a traveler song, you know. Yeah. I did like Graceland from the perspective of like it, I, this happens in a lot of songs. Like it starts out with a place, you know, like the Missy Silver Delta shining like a national guitar, you know, um, I'm going to Graceland, Memphis, Tennessee. So it starts out very concrete Memphis, Tennessee, and then it sort of gets a little bit less concrete. You know what I mean? At the end, um, like for reasons I cannot explain, there's some part of me that wants to see Graceland. Like then it's starting to get much more like a concept. And I, I do like that idea. Like, that it's both a place and a state of mind. Yeah. Hmm. I like that. Let me ask you, did you guys not mind the, the 80s sounds at all? Like, uh, did that work for you or uh, did you Honestly, get used to it? Honestly, I hate if every album had this sound, but just for this album, I kind of I kind of dig it. Like, it was, I don't know, just it really made you want to, like, move. Move from those sounds. <laughs> I don't like the, 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 mostly the drum, the, the boomy snare drum. I don't like yeah. the, 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 I don't know, the guitars mostly sounded thin to me. And yeah, but yeah. I think, I, but like you're right, it's, it's an 80s sound. And if you don't like it, then, then yeah. it won't work. But I think, I don't know, something with the general vibe of, of this album, for me, it least worked. So I didn't mind those. So like it was, it was fine. It worked enough for you to to overlook the sound. Is yeah. what you're saying? Like the, everything as a whole yeah. was was good enough. Yeah, I'd like to think that uh, the, it's not that the sound is what stopped me from enjoying this album. Again, I did enjoy this album. Just it sounds like I didn't as much as you guys did. But I didn't like the sound. But it's not the problem. I think. If it was closer to like a classic rock album, I would have just been like, oh, why is the guitar so thin? Why are the drums not good? You know, like, yeah. <laughs> but then because it got away from that, yeah, I, I almost put it in a different a category. Yeah. So potentially I'm not critiquing it as hard, but, but at the end of the day, like 
I didn't even hear the flaws. So like, I can't really critique it because it didn't affect my listening. But yeah, like it's definitely not a sound for everyone. Absolutely not. Yeah. Do you, do you feel like Paul Simon brought Africa to the world or do you think he was borrowing stuff or do you think it was something completely different? It's a good question. I don't really know because I do have like this association with the 80s and early 90s and like African influence in, in music. But I don't really mm. know what happened, what, what came first. Like when I did listen, when I was starting to get into it, like I was getting over the first couple of listens and I started to like it. But I did have this thought. I was like, you know, I don't know much about Paul Simon. What is the chances that he's sort of just gone, man, Africa's got a good thing going. Let's just shove that in this album and just capitalize. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the worst allegation you could have of like cultural appropriation. Like, you know, he doesn't even like it, but he just wants everyone else to sort of think he's cool or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And as I was listening more and more, I found that like the songs are really not African songs. They're very much Paul Simon self-introspection songs, but the sound is very much like an African sound. Like, so, so the, the, the lyrics are very much Paul Simon, but the sound is for the, a lot of the, a lot of it is sort of this African sound. But the thing is the African sounds usually are played by um, people from South Africa. You know what I mean? It, the guitar sounds very Western, but the drums or at least the non-electronic drums uh, or the or the beats, you should say, sound like the backup singers and sort of some of the more harmonic aspects are very South African. The the bass, very Western. You know, it's it's very much like there's not a scale of things. It's either very, very South African or very, very Western. Mm. And for the most part, the South African things are played by the South Africans. So I, I don't know. It doesn't feel to me like he's done anything wrong just because he's a, he feels like a visitor in this album. You know what I mean? He's come and asked them, do you want to play instruments on this album? But, you know, I'm not going to try to make an album about your country. I'm just going to make an album, but I'd love to hear you on it. You know what I mean? Like it, that's how it came across to me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I think you're right. Like I never, I never gave it much thought, but like, I completely agree with the, these are definitely Paul Simon songs. You, you can, you, it, the, the main, the, the main idea there is something that, that you can hear throughout the album and is very consistent with Paul Simon. And in a way, he probably could have taken any other additional style, like not necessarily from South Africa. Like I imagine he would brought Irish elements into it in, in the background. It it would have become a completely different album, but I don't know. I, th I feel like there would still be uh, a lot of common parts there. It would stand mm -hmm. on kind of the same ground. It'd yeah. Be the, the same roots would exactly, be there. Exactly, exactly. And, and I think that the, his, his choice to to put South African music there is actually a very interesting one and, and, and very aligned with, the, with his songs. Like we, we just said that he takes everything he experienced and just puts it in, in his music. So apparently he's been to South Africa and that's exactly what he did. <laughs> the same way he takes it to, to his lyrics, he also, also does that for his music. In a way, it, it can't be any more authentic <laughs> than that. This is Paul Simon yeah. being Paul Simon and just taking everything uh, around around him physically and and putting it in, into his work. 
I don't know if it's just me, but I think it's a... I think this is a very good album to go to sleep with. I think the the sound and feel reminds me of stuff I used to go to sleep with when I was younger. I can't remember what exactly, but something about this album makes me feel warm when I'm in bed. I don't know. Do you guys go to sleep with music on or... Uh... No, not usually. It kind of keeps me up a little bit. Yeah, um, same. I usually try to read or something. I usually try to think of black holes. Yeah. <laughs> They're so big and dark. I always go to sleep with music or, or a podcast on, but not, not any podcast. It has to be something like a conversation that doesn't necessarily have a point. Like it's, it can't be like something that tries to teach you something, you know? I think there's, there's uh, this Australian guy that does podcast that is meant to be incredibly boring so you can fall asleep to. Ah, uh, yeah. I think I have heard of that. <laughs> yeah. I should give it a go. Oh, speaking of podcasts that aren't um, boring at all, when I was listening to this album, like when I when I was able to actually pause the album and do something else because I was getting quite addicted to it, I did find a podcast based on this album. It's um, The podcast is called The Great Albums. The episode title is called uh, Paul Simon Graceland with um, Jesse Jackson. Um, and it goes for about an uh, about two hours, so it's a long podcast, but they go into a little bit of the controversy um, surrounding the release, but they also do track by track, so they play sort of like a minute of each song, and then they go through whether they liked it, and um, like, I, I, my thoughts are, are quite different to theirs, but I, I thought it was just a great episode, so like, if, if you've got this far in this episode, and you've listened to the album, or even if you haven't listened to the album, but because they do give you some bits of it, but you'd probably get more out of it if you've listened to it. Yeah. Uh, definitely give give it a go. We can we can link it um, in the show notes. So. Yeah. Cool. The only other thing I wanted to bring up was um, The Boy in the Bubble is kind of this song I don't really understand. Like the lyrics are just so odd, but there's something kind of captivating about them. It's like the epitome of having something negative and then something positive but then the negative is sort of making the positive look stupid. So I'll, I'll give you an example. It says, um, you know, it was a slow day and the sun was beating on the soldiers by the side of the road. There was a bright light, a shattering of shop windows. The bomb in the baby carriage was wired to the radio. And then he says, these are the days of miracle and wonder. This is the long distance call. The way the camera follows us in slow-mo, the way we look to us all. Like, I think... My my impression of it was um, that, you know, he's saying all these horrible things and then he's saying, man, look how good we look in slow motion. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, I think he's saying like, you know, there's so many things we like, but the, all the serious things are still happening. Like, I don't know, like we're getting almost distracted. It's like a song about distraction, you know? There's a, um, there's a theory that says that it's a, a song from the perspective of like a villain. You know, someone who's, who enjoys the fact that the world is going to shit. Or or potentially um, the villain could be like from another um, sort of area in, in, in the universe because yeah. he, he has this line, which I always, I, I do like, but it says, the way we look to a distant constellation that's dying in a corner of the sky. These are the days of miracle and wonder. And don't cry, baby, don't cry. But I always wondered like the first line, the way we look, to a distant constellation. Is that the way we must look to someone from a distant constellation? Or is that like the way that we look at other constellations? 
Do you do you understand what I mean? Yeah, I figured the second one. You think it's the other one? The second one? Yeah, that's what. I, that's how I the took it. The more I listen to it, I don't know. I think it makes more sense the other way after listening to to the lyrics. Like as I said, like I think the song is a little bit about distraction, but I think he's saying in that is like if you zoom out and you're looking from another planet, we must just look like idiots, you know. Um, in an interview, I think he says. Um, Hope and dread, that's the way I see the world, a balance between the two, but coming down on the side of hope. That's what he says about the song. But I don't know, like, I, I, that's what confuses me because I thought it was straight up a song about how we're all getting distracted by the cool shit that's going down <laughs> and there's still lots of problems with the world. Then he's, like, coming down on the side of hope. So I'm not sure. So maybe that the looking at a distant constellation is, like, a really positive note but I'm not sure. But I did really like that song. It was, you can call me Al is a, is a banger, but this one is, um, I think, I think really good lyrically. Um, so yeah, as I said, I had a pretty big change of direction on this one. I, I came out firing on all cylinders, ready to do the old folklore Taylor Swift roast. And, um, I don't know, like it's something that happened after my second listen and, and it just got much better. And I still don't think it's like the most complete album ever. If if you be brutally honest, there's probably half an album there which doesn't really fit, and then there's the other half which is just solid bangers. So yeah, it, it it's probably not something that I would play all the way through going forward. But if I make a playlist, which I don't make playlists very often, but if <laughs> I ever do make a big playlist, um, there's definitely a few songs here that are going to go on it. And um, not only that, but um, this album stays in the in the library so nice. um if i ever want to listen to it and also i'm going to listen to a lot more paul simon potentially even some simon and garfunkel after this i, I honestly i was so enthralled with the album towards the end i never even got a chance to listen to anything else so so yeah once once we get into the next topic i'll probably free up some time and go through solo solo efforts and definitely get to know bridge over troubled water i thought about it today that i wanted to thank you peter like i i never would have listened to this album and i and i enjoyed it much more than i than i would have thought it was fun it's it's easy going although 80s is not really my style i think that i will come back to it again even just to hear graceland and call me out uh, all in all, I know like it might not sound like it but all in all my feelings toward this album are warmish i i Really don't feel like there's something for me here, but I, I like I don't mind it. I, I had fun with listening to it. I'm not regretting my time with it at all. I might even put it on every once in a while. And also hearing you guys talking about this album kind of made me warm up warm up to it a bit. I played it in the background while you were talking and I don't know, maybe I'm still warming up to it. Maybe I maybe it just needs more time. Anyway, as we do at the end of each step of our quest, we're going to take a vote that will decide whether or not Paul Simon's Graceland has a place in the Culture Quest Essentials Guide. We will vote with a gentlemanly tip of the hat for yay or an ominous stroke of the mustache for nay. And the vote must be unanimous in order for it to pass. I think the only one I'm not sure what he wants to vote is Barrio. So, Barrio, let's start with you and see where you're going with this. I didn't understand that until I heard it a couple of times. And I don't know, maybe it's due to my nostalgia about it. But I think that it does have have a, an important place. So I will I will tip my hat to getting this to the quag. Um, I 
and going to stroke my mustache. Oh. Didn't expect that, did you? No. Not at all. What a twist. Well, I downplayed it a little bit, but I do sort of have problems with albums that don't... Like, if you have more than, like, two songs that aren't top of the top, I don't know, I can't give it to you. So, like, I don't mind if the... Like, I prefer, like, an album, like, where Pet Sounds, which I think I did try to get into the Quag. Yeah. Um, even though, like, I prefer a lot of the songs here to Pet Sounds, Pet Sounds had a consistency that I liked, along with the cultural sort of significance... And I, I do like it when every song sort of has a chance of being a very good song. Whereas mm. I do find like a few of these songs were not filler, but just too different to really fit on the same album. But also I didn't like a few of them just, just outright. So yeah, unfortunately it's a bit of a perfectionism thing I'm, I'm, I'm critiquing it on um, because you could almost artificially just shorten the album and... I would like it more, yeah. but yeah, that's just how I feel. Like it, you, you can't have too many of those songs. Otherwise it, it, it just can't go in for me. Cool. Okay. So I'll stroke my mustache as well. And uh, this is out forever and ever. <laughs> ah, such negative Nellies. So the next episode, we're going to go back to some video games. Yay! Yeah. We haven't done a video game in a while. Yeah, we're going to do an escape room game called The Room, uh, which has been around for a while and I heard a lot of good things about it. We're not sure if we're going to play only the first game out of four, I think. It's also supposed to be a bit scary, so I'll grab it on and we'll try to yeah. to play <laughs> <laughs> together so I won't uh, um, stop in the middle. And Peter... Um, Good luck. <laughs> well, we can maybe try and uh, sync up our schedules and do it together. <gasps> Actually, that could be that could be fun. It's a two and a half hour game. Yeah, we can find yeah. the time to do that, right? Yeah. And I'll let you know right now. I'm going to try. I'll obviously going to tr- to play the first game, but if I'm going to find the time, I'll play the rest of them. If 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 I'm enjoying myself, obviously. There's the movie, The Room, which sucks. Yeah. The, no, The Room is like I think it's like everyone's go-to worst movie of all time, but. It's, um, I think The Room, the movie, also, like, imitates a little bit from another movie we did. Um, uh, for Rebel Without, Rebel a, Cause. Without a Cause. Yeah. yeah. Um, where the, one of the characters says, what do they say? Um, You're tearing um, me apart, Lisa. Yeah. <laughs> tearing me apart. In this very American accent. And, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, oh, hi, Mark. Cool. <laughs> so, thank you, Peter. And thank you, Barrio, for staying true to our goal. And thank you the listeners at home for helping us along the latest stage of our quest we hope that you join us again next episode and we'll talk to you soon bye see ya bye the culture quest podcast is brought to you by no one in particular the best way to support us and help us grow is to tell your friends and family about us and to direct them at episodes that they might find interesting We might start a Patreon page at some point. That way we'll be able to do some cool stuff with people who decide to actively support us, such as you'll be able to join our Discord channel and discuss the albums, movies, books we're doing before we record each episode. You'll be able to suggest and to vote on the subjects that we do. We can maybe do listening parties with the albums we've covered and who knows what else. Uh, If you think you might be interested in something like that, or you want to contact us about anything else, drop us a line. You can find all the ways to contact us on our website, 
culturequestpodcast.com. Thanks for listening to today's episode. I just wanted to bring to everyone's attention all those people that are currently stuck without their phone and are forced to continue listening to this unless they pause it and then have to contemplate, you know, the state of their life and other things. So you'll probably just continue listening. I just wanted to give a bit of a shout out to a um, a website, actually. It's called givewell.org. So that's give, G-I-V-E, well, W-E, double L dot org. So it's, it's a dot org. So it's, it's legit. And um, basically they're the authority on who is worth giving money to in terms of charity. So obviously we'll give money to friends and family if they fall on hard times. But if you are thinking about giving large sums of money to um, charities, it's definitely best to do your research because a lot of people just give away money and want to feel good, but it's also good to think of it as an investment and how you can do the most good. So it's not asking you to give away more money, but it's asking you to give the money away in a responsible way. And um, basically, they've just authorized eight charities. So out of all the, I want to say hundreds of thousands of charities, might be a bit lower, but they've authorized only eight. And I think it's really good to just scan through the list and um, see if you can consider donating to these charities. So um, I think that would be good if we can all sort of band together during these tough times. At the moment, it's COVID, but, you know, that will change and we're all going to need to support everyone. So this is probably one of the best evidence-based ways to do that. So, yeah, so definitely hop on to givewell.org if you're considering and hopefully those charities are like tax deductible or something in your country, which would be in your best interest. So anyway, this is not formal advice, but it's just a good place to go. Thank you.